If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by The Oregonian and Oregon Live, dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale. And I'm Jim Ryan. And together we take you to some of the most beautiful and interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. And today we are headed into the forest to go foraging for mushrooms. And Jamie, this is a Pacific Northwest pastime, but I have to admit, it's something I don't know very much about. Yeah, Jim, I am also in the dark about the mushroom situation. (laughs) Uh, You know, I've been in forests where I have seen mushrooms growing, Mm -hmm. as I imagine most listeners have. Uh, But I've never taken a step to actually harvest any of those mushrooms, let alone go out seeking anything specific. Um, Foraging for mushrooms has always seemed like a little dicey to me. I don't know, like between Mm -hmm. the, the tricky identification and the fact that like some mushrooms out there can make you pretty sick or kill you. It it just seems like something I've just kind of uh, avoided out of, um, you know, an abundance of caution. Yeah. Uh, one of those activities, if you will, that requires a, a guide, you know, a little bit of guidance heading into it. And thankfully, we have a guide with us here on the show today. And that's Chris Smaka, a herbalist who is the founder and director of the Vital Ways Institute here in Portland. Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely so. Now, in talking with us ahead of the show here, you've said your family has foraged for mushrooms for generations, <laughs> and you've been doing it yourself for, uh, I think you said 26 years. So you've taken yeah. over 100 people into the wild to collect mushrooms. Uh, this is in your blood. Oh, over, over a thousand. thousand. Over a thousand. Over a thousand people. Yeah. So, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it is in my blood. You know, both my uh, paternal... And my maternal grandparents uh, were foragers, you know, back in upstate New York in the Adirondack Mountains, where I'm from. And uh, yeah, we had the sort of the Polish angle on that and the Italian angle on that. And so I kind of learned from those two traditions. And yeah, I've been doing it since I was uh, as far back as I can remember. I love that. For the uninitiated, what is the appeal of mushroom hunting? Why are you so drawn to this? You know, that's an excellent question. And what I see, I think that mushrooms have, you know, a history that goes deeply into our psyches through folkloric sort of understanding. You know, we think about it associated with everything from, uh, you know, 
there's some element of like this like witchcraft situation where people are thinking about witches and toadstools and simmering pots with newts and everything like that. And then there's also, you know, I think what you mentioned, what you found a minute ago, which is there is the aspect of the the fact that there are some deadly ones out there. And and to be totally fair to our our, our fungi, there's a lot of deadly plants too. We just don't think about it that way. Um, I think most people go out in the woods, they see plants, and they don't really consider, you know, should they consume them or not. But I think when people see a mushroom in the woods, there's some kind of allure to them. And maybe, like I said, maybe it's one of these folkloric kind of things in our past. Um that just gets us to think to ourselves, gosh, can I eat that thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that, and I, and I, you know, everyone's thinking that. And, that. and then also, I mean, layer on top of that, the fact that we all know now that hallucinogenic mushrooms are, are gaining prominence and they just got uh, decriminalized in Oregon and are being used for purposes of psychotherapy. There are, I think Lewis and Clark right now is offering a class on the psychotherapeutic use of mushrooms and therapy. So, yeah, there's just a lot to speak about. Like, so what makes them so intriguing? They're all so beautiful. And I think the last thing is that, that you know, mushrooms, unlike plants, uh, they show up for a period of time and then they're mm-hmm. gone. And there's just mm-hmm. that ephemeral nature to them just makes them that much more exciting. And then I would say this is kind of a long answer to your question, but <laughs> the last thing is, you know, when you're walking around the forest, plants are more or less in the same place. So if you're looking for dug furs, if you go back year to year, you're going to mm-hmm. see dug furs in the same places. But with a mushroom, you never know what you're going to find. So it has that element of surprise, you know, which kind of runs through your neurochemistry and stimulates dopamine and gets you all excited. So I would say there's just a lot of a lot of things about mushrooms, um, in addition to their edibility and how delicious they can be. So, yeah. yeah. For for those of us who have not been out there foraging for mushrooms before, can you paint us a picture of what that process might look like? Yeah, that's and you know that's a really great uh, question too. And I think the biggest difference between what most people, how most people experience the forest and how a mushroom hunter experiences the forest is the nature of, of how you look for them. So, you know, most people go to the forest, they're following on a trail. And if you follow that trail back, you'll find a parking lot. Mm-hmm. And in that parking lot, you'll find a road that goes back to your house. So it's sort of this continuous route right back to where you're, you're just familiar and safe. Um, when you mushroom hunt, by and large, you go off trail. So, you know, a fascinating aspect of that is you may literally put your foot on a place that no human has ever stepped. I mean, that's kind of a tremendous thing. And so it also brings in this sort of kinesthetic way of walking where it's not just your feet. You're, you're using your hands, you're scrambling, you're going underneath old growth logs, you're climbing over things. You never know if your next footstep is going to actually be solid or not because you're standing on moss and there could be like a two foot cavity underneath that. So <laughs> I like to say that, uh, you know, if you're not falling, you're not much on it, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> and it's slippery and it's wet, you know, and so, and, and you're more likely to run into animals. I think that's really exciting. So, you know, you're just, you're just experiencing something, uh, I think both physically from that kinesthetic way of walking more like a primate to the things that you encounter. You know, the things you, that you see on a trail are so much more limited. But when you're in the, in the forest off trail, which, you know, which also presents its mm-hmm. dangers and you have to know what you're doing out there. Um, 
But luckily, when you're off trail and, uh, you know, the forest is usually glistening because it's rained in uh, most mushroom seasons, you you see just sights and you hear sounds and you might see animals that you're just not going to see in any other way. So so the, the experience of that, I think, is is one of the most attractive things, even if you don't find mushrooms, just walking off trail mm-hmm. in the forest in the fall with the fall colors and the, and the rain. It's really just a beautiful, you know, semi-mystical experience. There are, there are obviously so many different kinds of mushrooms out there here in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, mushrooms that um, taste really good, mushrooms that are good medicine, mushrooms that look interesting or um, pretty. When you're going out there, are you are you looking for something specific usually? Are you out there looking for different kinds? I mean, what is it you're looking for when you go out there? Because I, I know a lot of different species, I'm kind of looking for the more off-label ones that you know, I'm not used to are a little more rare and sometimes even looking for ones that maybe aren't even categorized if I can find those. And so that's what I'm generally going after. But then I'm also looking to harvest a fair amount of medicines. So I harvest about five different kinds of medicinal mushrooms. And then from an edibility standpoint, I'm usually looking for what I call choice. So the difference between a choice edible and an edible is basically there's a lot of mushrooms out there that just don't really have much to speak of in terms of of flavor. And I think something like a slippery jack kind of fits that bill. And then there are some that are choice and everyone knows the chanterelle. Uh, A lot of people know the king bolides. And so, you know, if you just know two mushrooms in the world and, you know, head off in search of those two and you find some of those, you're going to be a happy mushroom hunter. Um, but after a period of time, you just want to diversify and see what else you can find. And, you know, our forests are such a, just a, just a magical place to find so many countless, countless edibles and medicinals, really. I mean, if you're, if you're serious about trying to find different types of species, there's a lot out there. Give me a sense of, uh, give us a sense, I should say, of, of what kind of treasures are out there in Oregon? You know, what, what, what are the <laughs> kinds of mushrooms that people are really out there seeking a lot of the time? Yeah. You know, I think everyone who has gone mushroom hunting is looking for a chanterelle. Mm-hmm. They're, they're very easy to find. There's no dangerous. There's lookalikes. There's no dangerous. There's definitely no deadly lookalikes. So so it makes for a great beginner mushroom. Um, and, and the thing of it is, is that there's probably two other mushrooms that are most often confused and they're both edible. Oh, okay. Neither are choice, but they're both edible. Um, so that's what most people are going after. And then the people that are just one step kind of deeper into mushroom hunting would go for king bolides. Mm. That's what they call, you know, that's the porcini mushroom. And in French, they call them the chep. And those are, you know, there's always this debate among mushroom foragers, like which one is more tasty, the chanterelle or the bolide. And for my money, it's the bolide. Um, they're a little harder to find and they last for a much shorter duration in our woods and they have a tendency to have a lot of little larvae in them and so that turns people off as well Um, if you get a fresh one they don't but the older ones do and and those aren't harmful either and you know like they joke it's just adds a little protein to your meal but um, (laughs) so so those are the two most common but i think then uh after that people are pretty comfortable harvesting what's called a lobster mushroom. And, you know, that's a really fun mushroom because it's not even a mushroom at all. It's actually a, uh, 
it's called a parasitic ascomycete hmm. that attacks and takes over the physiology of an entirely different mushroom. And so that's a really fun thing. And, and they're bright orange and they're usually really large. And when you dry them, they take on a seafood smell and they make a seafood broth that some people say tastes better than actually lobster broth itself. So, you know, that's a really fun one to harvest. Um, and, and those things, you know, when you're out in certain forests along the coast or in other places, I mean, you could literally see a thousand in a, in a little bit of a walk. I mean, there's just so many of them. And each one may weigh like, a, you know, a quarter to a half to even a pound sometimes. And so you'll harvest your heart's content. And, uh, yeah, and they're, and they're pretty unmistakable. I can't think of any mushroom that looks anything like that. Mm-hmm. So... You know. Man, tons to dive into here, and I, I think we should yeah. we should address here uh, in the early half of the show. I mean, there's a lot of fear around pitching, picking mushrooms as well, and I would imagine that some of that is probably unfounded, and some of it is, of course, something that you need to keep an eye out for very distinctly. So, set the record straight for us a little bit. What what are the fears and and dangers, and how can we kind of counter that as folks perhaps going out uh, in, into the forest in search of mushrooms, if you will. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think that should be everyone's first consideration um, because there is a lot of dangers to the whole experience from harvesting mm-hmm. the wrong mushroom to getting lost in the woods, not being prepared for the climate. I would say the number one risk is getting lost because you're not following a trail. You know, when you're on a trail, I mean, you basically have two directions. You go towards your car or mm-hmm. you go away from your car. But as soon as you get off trail and, and most people aren't familiar with how to navigate very far on their own. And, you know, there's there's not even some of the, the more simple sort of ways to navigate, um, such as following the sun or something like that, knowing what, you know, the cardinal directions from the sun, because most of the time when you're mushroom hunting, it's overcast. Mm-hmm. So that takes away one of your, you know, really simple navigational cues. And so I would say the biggest danger, and I would say the the and I've been out on a few scouting trips to, to find mushroom hunters um, that have gotten lost and not on my trips, but on other trips, you know, I get back to my car and someone's like, oh my gosh, we're missing someone. So then I'm off into the woods with a headlamp. And, you know, that's the, the main, as much as most people think that eating a toxic mushroom is the biggest threat, I would say it's the second biggest. Mm-hmm. I would say the first biggest is not being prepared for the climate because it's a lot to think of it is is that people think a lot about how to dress for a mushroom trip while they're sitting in the warmth of their home <laughs> right and then they go up a couple feet a couple thousand feet in elevation the temperature drops by 20 degrees it's raining and i think uh if people consider that the outfit that is the most appropriate for mushroom hunting is head to toe uh, rubber or vinyl. Mm. So, you know, you know, most of us outdoors folks mm-hmm. out here, you know, we're thinking of breathable rain gear that we can, you know, walk down a trail and, and, you know, not sweat inside our yeah. gear. And that's great for a light rain. But when you're walking off trail and you're not only being rained on, but you're also brushing into all the water that's on everything you're, you're, you know, you're coming across, you know, that kind of rain gear soaks through in about an hour. So, you really got to think of it more like you are up in the Aleutian chain crab fishing, 
you wear that kind of gear. So we're talking like rubber boots and rubber outfits. And so it's much less expensive, but people don't usually think it's the best gear until uh, they experience it out in the woods. And so the only people that really come back to their car dry are people wearing that kind of gear. So, so wearing the right gear and then having an awareness of where you parked and really staying within your limits and, you know, trying not, it's, it's not the time you want to learn off trail navigation. You want to sort of have a sense of it beforehand. And, you know, you can rely on an app. There's some great apps these days, but technology has a tendency to fail. And so, you know, a lot of people will use apps like Gaia uh-huh. GPS or, or trails.com. And those things are great and they really work well. And if you know how to get your phone into airplane mode uh, prior to getting to the spot, you can generally get good GPS coverage with a phone, but if it does fail and you're and you're a little bit further than you're comfortable, it can really create some dangerous circumstances. So, so I would say that's the number one thing that that people need to know about is just to prepare themselves for you know walking off trail and and the thing of it is too, when you're super excited about mushroom hunting, you're you're always looking down. Uh-huh. So you're not taking your natural cues. You're not looking up at trees. You're not looking at landmarks. You're looking down. You're kind of getting kind of lost and up and over hills and things. So, so yeah, getting lost is the first one. And then I would say secondly is, you know, harvesting a toxic mushroom. And I think, you know, I definitely, so one of the things that I do on my trips is, you know, when we get out there, I point out every toxic mushroom that we see. I point out the edibles. I point out the the lookalikes to the edibles. Mm. And then at the end of the day, we go through everyone's catch. You know, say, okay, what'd you get? Let's let's lay them all out. I want to see every single mm-hmm. mushroom. And, you know, invariably, in, you know, if I take out 12 people, 15 people, invariably we'll find a couple mushrooms in there that you wouldn't choose to eat that look close enough to inedible that I'm not surprised a person's, you know, making an ID mistake, a first timer. Um, but it's one of those things you absolutely wouldn't want to eat. So my my biggest advice is, you know, always go with someone who's truly an mm-hmm. expert to get you started and then go after a few that have no toxic lookalikes. So, you know, that's and then the third thing there is there is the uh, situation with animals. That's pretty rare in, uh, you know, in our region anyway. I've seen a few bears out in the woods. But I've never seen a mountain lion, and you don't hear a mountain lion attacks down here. So that's probably not that big of a deal. But the bigger deal is hornets. Actually, hornets in the fall are super aggressive. And they're especially um, sort of a little more aggressive when it's when, or at least you can see them more often when it hasn't rained in a few days. So so I know that when I go out with a group one of the main warnings that I give everyone is, you know, it's possible that if you're just walking around, you may not see them. They don't usually swarm. They usually climb up your gear mm-hmm. and you may feel it. And so you just have to move away from that spot really rapidly. And you kind of got to strip down and kind of brush yourself off because uh, that's, you know, of, of all the the animal experiences that mushroom hunters with me have, have had, it's been hornet stings by far, you know, the most. So... I know. It's one of those things you don't yeah. think about because you don't experience it that often. But off trail in the fall in the forest, they're just out there. Huh. So 
So that's a thing. So especially, you know, if you're someone who has, mm-hmm. you know, a, a bee allergy, you want to make sure you're carrying the appropriate gear for that. Absolutely so. Well, I want to hear a, a bunch more about this. Uh, but first, we are going to take a short commercial break. All right, folks, we are back with Chris Smaka, a herbalist who is the founder and director of the Vital Ways Institute here in Portland. And we are talking, of course, all about mushroom foraging here in the Pacific Northwest. And Chris, let's say somebody really likes the sound of this and they are itching to get out. How should they get started? There's groups going out. So I probably lead at least one or two uh, public groups so people can come to uh, my website, which is uh, portlandherbalschool.com and, and take a look there for our classes. And then also, you know, I've been a longtime member of the Oregon Mycological mm. Society and, uh, you know, they're still leading groups and they're doing a bit, you know, a fewer of them and a bit smaller just because of COVID. Um, but they're going out. It's a fee to join. And I think it's $30 a year, I think. And they're a great organization. And they do monthly online meetings, um, which is, is a great place to get started, really. So I would say, you know, going with someone, going with a group who specifically is there to educate you, because they're, they're just such a, you know, mushrooms are just so different than anything else uh, that people are used to thinking about like plants. So you're not looking for flowers. You're not looking for leaf mm-hmm. structure. So it's a whole new language. It's a whole new concept. So I think going with a, with a group and, uh, one thing you can also do is, is there's a Facebook, a really good Facebook group called, um, Pacific Northwest Mushroom Identification Forum. And so, you know, there's a lot of people there with pretty vast experience. And I'm sometimes on there um, just commenting and and helping uh, people with ID. You know, if you can't find a group, then I think it's fine to, you know, if you're bold enough and if you're if you're willing to get out there to to start going off on your own, if you are, you know, comfortable with the, you know, off trail navigation or just stay really close to your vehicle or just take a trail, just, you know, walk on a trail and just see what you see. Uh, you know, with phones now, you can just take lots of pictures. You can go back to the Facebook group and get them identified and start learning that way. You know, I think the biggest thing I would say is, you know, just be 100% sure uh, before harvesting for the mm-hmm. table. And so, you know, that's the biggest thing if you're going to go off on your own, especially. Yeah, that make, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, Chris, one of the things that I think the basic questions people have that we haven't yet addressed is when is mushroom season and mm. what are some good areas that people should look to for mushroom foraging spots? Right, 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 right. So, you know, you can harvest mushrooms in Oregon 12 months a year. So if you know where to look and you know what you're looking for, there's really not, I mean, maybe you could argue, I really can't even think of a time that I haven't seen in harvested mushrooms. Um, but the peak season is generally speaking, and of course, you know, mushrooms don't follow the calendar. They just, they follow the climate. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you think it's going to start like, you know, two years ago, we had a really early season started in early September, but the peak of the season usually is the first week of October until about the first week of November in our climate, and our range. A little farther south, it's earlier. Um, farther north, they have a shorter season. But, you know, so that's the peak. That's when you're going to see the most. That's when it's, I, I feel like it's the most fun 
because you're just going to see all the different shapes and sizes and all the different you know fungi growing all over the place. Um, and what you're looking for, and I, and I keep in mind, I, I have harvested you know edible mushrooms from the middle of the city, from uh, you know the local parks, from Tryon Creek. I've harvested edible mushrooms from uh, Forest Park. I've, I've harvested edible mushrooms. Um, so so they're really everywhere. But the best places are going to be second growth forest with a nice layer of moss. And that's, you know, that's, I would say, you know, one of the most common habitats that we have out here. So west side of the Cascades, about 1,500 feet to about 3,000 feet. And, and what you're looking for is you're looking for like a blanket of green moss because in a moss, for those who don't know, it's a, it's a low growing plant that'll grow about, you know, anywhere from like one to three to four inches. And it forms a pretty homogenous carpet and it just sort of rolls over the, the hillside. And, and the reason you're looking for moss and the reason that mushrooms love moss is because moss thrive in a certain humidity, certain level of moisture. And so that's what the mushrooms love too. So, you know, you're looking for somewhere that is relatively flat so you can walk mm-hmm. through it relatively open so you're not kind of you know trying to scramble through the salal or the you know salmonberry the main places that people harvest are around mount hood or uh the gifford pinchot in southern washington the coast range pretty much the entire coast range and uh then areas around mount st helens that's you know from from Portland, those are pretty accessible places with about an hour, hour and a half drive. And then, of course, the coast itself, which has a wonderful, they have a, a long season and tremendous uh, variety. And some of our favorite mushrooms grow there. Wow, Chris. Well, you've given us so much good information. Um, do you have any other advice for beginner mushroom hunters? Sure. Yeah. You know, what I would say is that, you know, the most, I think the most valuable advice I can give is to pick about two or three mushrooms that you that you're thinking you want to find, and just research those, and then rec- and then when you're looking to to research those, uh, you know look at the most common lookalikes, look at the habitat, and go out to try to find those. I think it's much more challenging just to go out in the woods and you know harvest thirty or forty different kinds of mushrooms and and then hope you're going to take them home and identify them because they're just going to probably uh, be somewhat challenging and probably rot before you ever figure you know use them for anything. So so my recommendation is you know start off easy, start off with chanterelles, start off with lobsters, and then get out there and stay within your limits. And if you can, you know join a group. Because that's always going to get you there, you know, get you some knowledge and, and, you know, make some good connections with the mushroom folk are always the fun folk to, to hang out with. So <laughs> that's what I would say. And then, you know, if you want to go deeper, there's, there's always ways to, you know, get uh, more involved. You know, my program, we go deep into uh, both edibles and medicinals. And so there's lots of ways to go deeper, but, you know, start at the very basics, you know, start with chanterelles. There's just not only delicious, but they're really easy to see and there are no dangerous lookalikes. So that's where I would start. Chris, before we let you go, uh, how can folks connect with you uh, or find you online? Sure. So they can go to our website, which is portlandherbalschool.com, or they can send us an email and that's info at portlandherbalschool.com. And, you know, we have a, a one to four year holistic 
clinical herbalist training, and we have a free clinic where our third and fourth year students practice and help people with chronic disease. So, you know, there's lots of layers. And, and then we do our public classes like mushroom walks and plant walks and, you know, digestive health walks. So there's a lot that we're up to. And, you know, we're always welcome to to uh, answer questions and help people in their in their path to understanding nature and health. So that's what we're here for. And we'd love to hear from anybody that's interested in finding out more. Chris, can I ask you one hyper-specific question here real quick? Amanita muscarias, I've heard so many things about. So many people talk about like, oh, you can't touch those. They'll kill you. Some people say, oh, if you, you cook them right, they, you can eat them and they're totally fine. Um, some people say they're used medicinally and spiritually by cultures around the world. What is the deal with Amanita muscarias? So it really, I could tell you a lot about those. You know, they're really, first of all, they're beautiful. If you want to harvest some, go straight out to Fort Stevens State mm-hmm. Park, That's right, which is in the Northwest. <laughs> That's where you see them, yeah. right? And you see them in the thousands. There's just and they're, they're and they're so beautiful and they're so attractive. Um, so they do have a couple constituents that can cause some effects. So one effect is purgative. So it'll make you sweat through basically, you know, places you didn't know you could sweat, like through your ears. <laughs> I'm serious, really. And uh, it'll make you urinate a lot. It'll make you um, salivate a lot. Your eyes will tear up. And so that's mildly toxic. And so it's not so toxic that it'll, it'll, it can't kill you unless maybe you have a pre-existing kidney issue or something like that. Um, but I think there's zero deaths on record attributed to it. Um, but it is a delicious edible, like absolutely amazing. Mm. The, the thing about them is you have to, the, the constituents are water soluble. So what that means is you can uh, boil it in water for five minutes, pour off that water, and then boil them in water again for five minutes pour off that water, and then you have completely safe, delicious, edible mushrooms. So in there, you know what? I harvest, I probably eat about, I don't know, 50 or 75 a year because they're just delicious. Um, I go for the younger ones, the ones that are are not open. By the time they open up and the gills, you know, underneath the top Mm. are yellowish, you you want to avoid those. They don't have a tendency to taste very good at that point. Okay. Um, to, To experience the psychoactive effects... Um, I think is very interesting and I, and I've used them for that experience as well. Um, I think that everything in the, you know, all the things that are being talked about now from, you know, psilocybin to the, uh, you know, I mean, muscarias to MDMA and everything else that people are using now in the psychotherapy and psychotherapeutic, uh, sort of fields, um, Ambonitas have a role. I really believe that they have a role. Um, but I think it takes a little bit of uh, sort of skillful application because they are somewhat toxic as well. Hmm. Um, but I've known people that have used them. I've used them that way. It's a different experience. Everything is, you know, all the different chemicals that, that are in those those plants affect your neurochemistry differently. And sometimes it can be exactly what you're needing. And um, it's hard to predict that. So, um, but we do, you know, I actually have a, a tincture of it in my school that we use as a, in a liniment, it's actually in a, in a, uh, it's not really a tincture. It's in rubbing alcohol and it's an excellent nerve pain remedy huh. with an old school. Yeah. It's been used for over a hundred years. Um, so I think it's the eclectic doctors were using that in the 1800s and yeah, it's really effective. Um, fascinating as a, as a topical. So yeah. Well, thank you yeah. for, for indulging me in that, in that curiosity. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun mushroom, no doubt. 
Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. I learned a lot and uh, I'm sure a lot of folks did as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Jamie. Jim, appreciate it. Jamie, I, I feel like we could have kept going uh, with Chris here for like at least another half. An- I mean, we could have we could have spent the afternoon with the guy. Uh, oh, yeah. I I mean, I truly knew almost nothing about mushrooms. A couple of the, the names of the mushrooms stood out to me, but I definitely couldn't spot them in the wild. Uh, man, it makes you kind of want to go do a little scrambling out there. It's incredible. And what's, what's amazing to me is that like I – we just listened to him for, you know, mm-hmm. like half an hour, however long it was with a lot of really in-depth information. And I feel like I know definitely a lot more. And at the same time, I also feel like I know so little mm-hmm. <laughs> about this, the breadth of information and um, just how rich that the world of uh, mycology is here is absolutely mind blowing to yeah. me. And I, I, this is something I've, I've really want to learn more about, but it feels so intimidating. So I feel like now I feel a little bit less intimidated. Like I, I have at least uh, an avenue to mm-hmm. to walk to learn a little mm-hmm. bit more about this, and I think that's all we need to really get started. Well, and I love the idea too of uh, forums or online groups where you're able mm-hmm. to kind of, as perhaps someone who maybe goes with a group once or twice, and or maybe is venturing out on their own for the first time, to be able to have uh, a little bit of a, a backup, a second check uh, to, you know. No group should be your only safeguard measure against a toxic mushroom or whatnot, but mm-hmm. to have a little bit of a backup, right? A, a little bit of a second opinion um, from folks who who probably have more experience than a first timer out there. Yeah, I'll say I have been on that Facebook identification oh, group nice. before, and um, a lot of it these days is admittedly people asking, is this uh, a psilocybin mushroom? Ah. Um, but there is also, in addition to that, a lot of people asking just about all kinds of mushrooms. And it's a cool spot just to like see, wow, there are so many different kinds of mushrooms and so many people who know so much about them here. So a great resource for anyone who's looking for more information here. Yeah. And just as an aside, you know, one of the things I love about being a journalist is kind of the uh, – creativity and enthusiasm you just feel from folks who are so Mm -hmm. so so passionate about what they do and this podcast is a great way to meet those folks chris just seems like a really really i mean uh such a, a deep interest in this subject and i love being able to just kind of enter his world for a half an hour and uh feel that enthusiasm so that's very cool yeah. What's cool, Jim, too, is that's, that's something that like you and I may have had um, just on a one-on-one conversation with him yeah. before that no one would have heard. But having the podcast, we get to share that interview and share you know that experience with everyone listening. And I think that's such a cool experience. Yeah. Well, I know I learned a lot. Jamie, I think you probably learned a bunch, too. And oh, yeah. uh, hope all you listeners out there also picked up a thing or two. So, folks, until next time here on the show you can watch our videos on the oregonians youtube channel follow us on instagram at peak northwest and view all of our travel and outdoors coverage on oregonlive.com travel please leave us a rating or review if you enjoy the show and if you want to support this podcast and our local journalism please consider a subscription to oregon live you can find details of course at oregonlive.com pod support This episode of the show is produced by me, Jim Ryan, alongside Jamie Hale and Andrew Thien. Stay safe and happy travels, everyone. Until next time, we leave you with this 10 seconds of Zen.